0: Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Here we are in our Bible study. This is the fifth week of our uh, series of studies that we're calling Tools, um, looking at the various and sometimes overlooked things that God uses in our lives to shape us and to mold us and to do his will in our lives. And tonight we're going to talk about one of those, one of those things that God likes to use uh, that might not be so comfortable all the time, but that is people. God likes to use people. Our text is 1 Samuel chapter 26. You are there. We're going to read um, the first 11 verses that we'll pull our theme from. And we'll go from there. So if you look with me at verse 1, it says there, it says that the Ziphites, a group of Israelites, a village in Israel and the tribe of Judah. It says that they came to Saul. Saul was the king to Gibeah. And they said, does not David hide himself in the hill of Hakela, which is before Jeshimon? So Saul arose and he went down to the wilderness of Ziph having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now this isn't hide and seek. Uh, Saul has a beef with David and he wants him dead. And so he brings with him 3,000 men thinking that there's no way that he'll be able to hide from such a, a blanket of men. And it says that Saul pitched in the hill of Hakila, which is before Jeshamin, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. So in a strategic place where he's able to see what's going on, realizes that he's in danger. And so David, therefore, sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed, that he had a fixed purpose, that he was there, that Saul was serious. Three thousand men, he's not playing around. And so David arose, and he came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul laid, and Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of his host. And Saul laid in the trench, and the people pitched around him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. So they sneaked down the cover of darkness and behold Saul laid sleeping within the trench and his spear was stuck in the ground at his bolster right at the midsection but Abner and the people laid around him so Abner the captain of his host uh, making a circle around a sleeping Saul but they were asleep as well and then said Abishai to David God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, let me smite him. I don't think he means slap him. He says, I pray thee with the spear, even to the earth at once, I will not have to hit him the second time. He's like, look, God has set this thing up. There he is. He's just, the, the spear right now is just six inches from where it should be. It's on his side. It should be in his side. Just give me one shot. I won't miss. I won't have to do it again. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord will smite him or his day will come. He'll die of natural causes to die or he will descend into the battle and perish. Something will happen to him situationally or providentially. But the Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed but, I pray thee, take now the spear that is at his side and the cruise of water and let us go. David having a plan uh, that will pacify for a season, Saul and the thing. But David basically looks at the situation that he is baited into by someone who's looking out for him, who is seeking to say to him that this is your opportunity now to capitalize on his Missed punch and give him the counterpunch that he won't <laughs> rise up from and david denies it and he says that would be A huge mistake and the reason that david Realizes at this point. This is not the way it's supposed to go And we'll find out all the drama that was leading up to it momentarily But david realizes that all of this is not about Me and the title of the message tonight is that it's not about you That's the title. It's not about you. When it comes to what God is doing in your life, it's not about you. Now, when when you begin walking with God, that moment that you say yes to Jesus, and he comes into your life, and his spirit comes inside, and you know something has changed, you know something is different, there are two things that happen to you in that very instant. Number one is that you are seen by God as complete. He sees you as though you were completely finished, already in heaven, perfected and glorified. That's the way God sees you because he knows that he's going to finish what he starts. And so you are complete the moment that you're saved. But the second thing that happens at the same exact moment is that not only are you complete, but you're also enrolled. Because... What's going to happen now is that the rest of your lifetime, you're going to spend completing what you have been called, catching up to what God has declared that you are. There's something that's going to happen in you, this work of transformation, where God changes you from the position that you're in when he finds you, and he turns you into what you are ultimately going to be. And that's a work that starts on the inside, and it works its way outside. That's why Peter would say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We don't work in our salvation. He plants it inside of us. We work it out. The change happens in the deepest place, and it affects the outer edges of our life later on. So this work of transformation, but also the work of preparation. Because part of the reason that God leaves us here and doesn't just save us and then take us is because he wants to also use us. He has a plan. There's a purpose. There's something that he wants to do with our lives now that he has saved us. So the good news is that God already knows what you're going to be and he knows how to get you there. The other news, I won't call it bad news, it's the other news, is that he is now going to take you through the process of transforming you and preparing you. Now, listen carefully to me. Every single calling, every single purpose, every single thing that God wants to do in every life will have something to do with people. Because all of creation was made for people. All of what the kingdom of God represents on earth is God's work in the lives of people. So everything that he's going to do with you and it's going to vary as, as much as our appearances vary from one to the next. It's going to have something to do with people. You're either going to be helping, reaching, serving, leading, tending, raising, or teaching people. And that goes for whether you're mothering or whether you're marketing. It goes across the spectrum. Somewhere in it, it touches people. And what you're going to learn about people... What you're learning about people, if you haven't learned it already, is that people are very complex. And people are very amazing. And they're very precious. They're very individual. They are also very broken. People are very needy. People are dangerously selfish. Have you discovered that? It's by nature. There's not one of us that doesn't fit that description. People are also unspeakably valuable. Because there's no two that are alike. Everyone made in the image of God. And the value that God places upon one soul is greater than the value of the entire contents of the earth. The intrinsic value. God sees the value of a soul, but they are also, we are also very vulnerable. It is possible to weaken, to wound, to tear down and destroy, to do damage to a human being. It is such a a, a dangerous Thing to work with people and so dealing with people which all of us are called to do is something that takes some learning and one of the primary instruments that god uses to teach us is people god uses people to teach us how to deal with people now because it's hard to see it in real time what's happening we don't often know what's going on until after it's over. So we don't often see how God is using people in our lives while it's happening. It isn't until later on that we look back and we say, wow, look at how God used that person in my life. And sometimes that's for good. There's good people and good things. And we say, wow, that was so instrumental and so helpful what that person did and and, and contributed to my life and the contents of my life. Sometimes some of the people sad to say probably more of the time We look at the experiences that we had with people and we say well, that wasn't maybe pleasant And I wouldn't have maybe chosen the kind of relationship that that was or what they contributed to my life But now looking at it, I can see how god used that in my life And so probably the greatest illustration of how god uses people to prepare people, transform people, is in this saga that took place between Saul and David that we see here in the scriptures, this great conflict. Now, who were the players? First of all, you have Saul, who we read about in the text. Saul was Israel's first king. The other one is David. David was Israel's best king. The one that all the other kings were measured against for quality. God held him to that place of the highest. They both had the same exact calling, Saul and David. Their calling was to lead God's people in God's ways for God's purposes and to be a representation of God to them as a leader. That was the calling and they both had that calling. Now Saul was an utter failure. He didn't measure up in any of those marks at all. He completely failed in his calling. He was a train wreck. David was the gold standard, the one that all the others were measured against. But here's the ironic thing, is that Saul, who was the worst king, was the teacher of David, who was the best king. The worst king prepared the best king. Now here's the history for those of you that maybe aren't as familiar with the Bible and maybe you need a little bit of an on-ramp to come up to speed with what's happening in the saga. The nation of Israel had been established, but they were, they were very unstable. They were ruled by judges and there was kind of a chaos in their leadership and they weren't able to move forward. They would take three steps forward and then they would take three steps back and they just weren't getting anywhere and they craved the stability of having a monarchy, of having a king or a leader, someone that would be able to drive them forward as a people. And that was, the forwardness of it was the will of God. The way that they went about it, maybe not so much. But they came to Samuel, who was the prophet, the ruling judge at that time. And they said, we want you to make a king, ordain and anoint a king over us. And so Samuel took it to God. God directed Samuel, and he said, I want you to go... To benjamin the tribe of benjamin and I want you to go find a man there named saul and you're gonna anoint him To be the king the ruler over my people And so saul was anointed the first king and he did good for a while But saul was in a position that not only wasn't he prepared for but that he didn't even pay for I mean, he just was there one day working on the farm and the prophet shows up with a crown and just places it upon his head So he knew the honor of it, and he was humbled by the the, the thoughtfulness of it, but he didn't take it very seriously. And so he did good for a while, but he didn't heed the boundaries that God gave to him. He constantly was overstepping them. Nor did he fulfill the purposes of God when it was inconvenient for himself. He did things according to what he thought was best, and he kind of wore that crown as his authority and permission to do what he wanted. Now, because of that, God sent a message through Samuel to Saul, and he said, listen, you're not, you haven't been faithful. You're not heeding the boundaries. Your season is over. You can no longer be the king. I have found me another man that will do things according to my heart and according to my will. Now, because Saul didn't heed boundaries before that message came, Saul didn't care about the command that came through Samuel after that. And so Saul's life purpose from that point became self-preservation. He wanted to hold on to something that was no longer his. 100% of his royal energy, went into preserving his own crown. Listen, it's never a wise thing to try to hold on to something that's no longer yours or that isn't yours at all. Because what that results in is a wasted life and you're never going to fulfill your purpose because when God doesn't have something for you, you can't have it. (laughs) This is the the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, right, 2019, back from, so this is all we're hearing about these days is it's the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. And so I saw uh, a short clip of an interview um, with a guy who was at the original Woodstock uh, concert back in 1969 at the Yasgur farm, and when it was over, he didn't want it to be over, he wanted to hold on, so he stayed there, and he's still there. He's still there. He works. He is the caretaker of that land. He couldn't let go. And he has given his entire life to being somewhere where something that was passed. Not a wise thing to do. And sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can waste a large portion of our lives trying to hold on to something that was ours for a season but is no longer like like youth right? <laughs> or strength, right? <laughs> you know, sometimes a relationship that came and went and so they married someone else, but we're still holding on, you know Not a wise thing to do. It's what Saul wanted to do. So Samuel came And God directed him now to the house of Jesse God said I found one of his sons that i'm gonna choose as my king and so Samuel finds a young man named David And he anoints him but listen God told samuel I don't want you to do it the same way. I don't want you to do it the same way. With Saul, you gave him the crown right away. He knew what was going. It was automatic. With David, pour the oil on his head and don't even tell him what it is that he's being anointed for. Tell him, God's got a call on your life. This oil symbolizes his spirit that's upon you and the preparation that's about to begin and then silently depart. He doesn't tell a single soul what his business is is by the way you need to know this is that when god truly calls you he doesn't need to even tell you that he calls you and you don't need to tell anybody that he's called you because it will become extremely obvious and you'll figure it out soon enough no sooner did samuel leave david's house but david noticed some things that began stirring within his life all of a sudden, he had an intense love for God, even more than he did before. That was new. He had a, a sense of leadership, and there was something inside of him where he was just driven to lead. He knew how to lead. He had vision in his life. He had wisdom and sense to know what, what was right and which was the wrong way to go. He was filled with courage, and he realized, hey, I'm a young man, but I know how to fight. And we, If you know the story of David and Goliath, you realize that that came to fruition very quickly. He knew how to draw out the best and the people that were around him, and he was one that loved people and loved relationships with people. And pretty soon, it became very obvious and apparent to the people around David that God had a call on his life, and most had the suspicion that he was going to be one day Saul's successor. There's only one problem with that. There was another man who had a suspicion that David would be his successor one day too, and that was Saul. And you recall that Saul's main purpose in life at this point is to defend that crown that he wants for himself. And thus, in that moment, when Samuel anointed David, the Spirit of God departed from Saul, and it came upon David, and Saul's express intent was now to destroy David. Now, because of this, David became a fugitive. And for about 10 years, maybe even a little bit more than that, David was running for his life from this jealous king, not knowing if he would survive to see mourning. Saul was relentless in his pursuit of David. Every time he could, he tried to kill him. And so the text that we read, chapter 26, happens about 10 years into this game of cat and mouse where Saul is chasing David. Now, David has been preserved. At this point, he has about 600 men that have gathered themselves to him, outcasts, those that were distressed, indebted, and discontent, and he is leading them forward. And this text is David's second opportunity to kill Saul. It happened once before. David didn't kill Saul then. It now happens the second time, and David doesn't kill him. Now, the interesting thing to me is the reason that David gives for not killing Saul. See, he could have said, it's against the command of God for me to kill him, because God said, you shall do no murder. For me to kill a defenseless man he's in his sleep, that would be outright murder. That's murder one. I can't disobey the command of God, but he doesn't give that reason. Uh, Another reason, good reason, would have been for the stability of the kingdom. If I begin my leadership by killing my successor, then what kind of precedent is that going to set for those that will come after me? Hey, if you want to rule in Israel, just kill the current king. That would have been a real good reason to say that's just not wise, but that's not the reason that he gives either. The reason that he gives almost doesn't make sense. He says the reason we can't kill Saul today is because he is the anointed of the Lord. Now the word anointed means called out and separated consecrated for a purpose that's what it means right there when it uses that word he's consecrated for a purpose now abishai and the rest of israel could have looked at david and said david don't you know that the spirit of the lord departed from him he isn't the anointed of the lord anymore you're the anointed of the lord samuel anointed you and abishai would have been Correct, but David wasn't looking at it that way in terms of who was the current one wearing the crown He looked at it as God has anointed Saul if for nothing else He is consecrated unto the purpose of preparing me He is anointed of the Lord in my life right now Because God knows I need The things that he is doing to me to prepare me for where I am going in the future. God is using him as a tool to shape me so that I can lead God's people the way that they're supposed to go. And David had sense enough to realize that and to recognize that. Now, what that means is that during this course of cat and mouse, David recognized that God, listen carefully, That God, We're done with history, now we're going into, you know, the part where you care because it has something to do with you. (laughs) You know, and not that we don't care about the history, but you understand my point. David, under the hand of Saul, was allowed by God to feel things that would shape his systems that would become the seed for his success. Under the persecution that came from Saul... Under Saul's authority, before David was driven out, he learned what it was like to be underneath the the authority of a narcissist sociopath. David knew what it was like when he would walk into a room and Saul was in it. He knew what it was like to walk on eggshells. Can anybody relate to that in here? You walk in the room with someone and and you wonder when you walk in and you look at the person, which version of that person you're going to get today? You wonder what kind of mood that they're in and you kind of like feel out the mood before you let your shield down because you don't really know exactly what you're going to get. David had to deal with that under the saw under Saul, for David during the time that he was in the palace early on in the days before the intense persecution came. David could not do anything right. If david had a win in the things that he was doing he was persecuted because of the success that he was Experiencing if david had a lose Rebuked and reproved for what he was doing. He couldn't win. He was in a lose-lose situation that was there Once david was driven out of the palace He was slandered lied about and falsely accused Every time saul had the opportunity to talk about david He had to bear the reproach of the lies that were being told about I don't know if any of you here have ever been lied about or had your character Assassinated by someone who didn't like you just because you were you that was what david had to go through He had to feel that David lost relationships because of it people died because they helped David David knew what it was like to live in fear to live in panic to live in extreme anxiety to be on the borderline of going mentally insane living in hunger and in thirst and in homelessness all of that happened under the experience of Saul and so what that means is that no matter what you and I are going through here tonight in our dealings with people It is not quite as intense as what David endured while he was under the hand of Saul. He didn't even know if he was going to survive the relationship as long as Saul was alive. So what did David learn from suffering under Saul? How did all of this prepare David for his position that was coming for the kingdom that he would endure? Well, one of the things that David learned, and he learned it well, is he learned that people whom he would be leading crave acceptance and approval from those that they look up to. That would become a very valuable lesson for David when he would later become the king. The second best day of David's life up to this point, I'm sure he had better days uh, after this, but the second best day of David's life, the first best day was probably the day Goliath fell. I'm, I'm going to say that's like a distant first. Like you can't touch that with anything else, you know. But probably the second best day of David's life was the day that he got a job in the palace. He went from being just a shepherd boy on a farm in Bethlehem to being employed by the king. We're told in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 21, It tells us there that David came to Saul and that he stood before him and that he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And so David was called in initially as a musician. He then becomes or is promoted to the place of Saul's armor bearer. What a privilege to be the one who carries the armor of the king into battle. And it tells us there, and I want you to notice it, it says that David loved him. And that love never went away, even during the days that Saul was so persecuting David. David wept when Saul died. David had a genuine esteem and appreciation for the person of Saul. Interesting thing is that Saul seemed to never even notice David during those early days. Because David was his armor bearer and his personal musician, But that was before Goliath's head came off. And so what that means is that after Goliath, his head comes off, Saul says, who's that? And he didn't even recognize him. And when he was brought close, he whispered to his, who is this guy? And they're like, king, that's David. David, you know, David, he's the son of Jesse. And He's like, wow, he's good man. Give that man a promotion. Didn't even notice him. David loves him, but he's too small for Saul. Saul's the king. This is just a peon armor bear, of nothing. Now, that led to one of David's worst days. Because David started to have influence. David started to have wins and successes, some military exploits. He started to gain the respect of some of the subjects and some of the people in the palace and in the kingdom. And when Saul saw the influence of David growing and he became jealous, he began his persecution. And probably the worst day of David's life, it's recorded for us in First Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. It was the day that David realized that Saul really did want him dead and that he was going to have to run for his life. And I want you to notice what it says. It says, "As soon as the lad was gone, David arose from the place where he was hiding in the south, and he fell on his face to the ground and he bowed himself three times. This is to Jonathan, Saul's son, who he's friends with. And it says that they kissed each other and they wept one another until David exceeded. The word literally is that David wept out. Meaning the day that David realized that Saul really did want him dead. Before it was just kind of a suspicion with evidence, but now it's confirmed. Saul wants me dead. Once that was absolutely confirmed, it says that David wept out. It wasn't because he was going to have to leave the palace and he lost his job because he didn't even know what was in front of him. He could not win the affection of this man that he so greatly looked up to and there was pain Associated with never being able to win the approval of one that he admired anybody here Maybe can relate to that That there's someone in your life that you looked up to or that you do look up to and no matter what you do You cannot win the approval or the appreciation of that person I uh Recently, I had to go upstate for a funeral. My wife's um, aunt passed away, and uh, I asked her while we were driving, because I knew um, questions were going to be asked her, or because I was a pastor, they were going to ask me to do something, because that's just how it works. And I realized that I don't really know very much about her mother's side of the family. And so I asked her, I, I said, what was your grandfather's name? And she looked at me, and she goes, I don't know. And I was like, you don't know your grandfather's name? She's like, no. I I said, how many brothers and sisters does your mom have? She goes, I don't know. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean you don't know? What were their names? Wasn't there older brothers or something? And she's like, yeah. I said, who were they? Do you know their names? No. I'm like, wait. You literally know nothing about your mother's side of the family. And she's like, they just never talked about it. It never came up. I said, you didn't ask? She said, no, we just don't talk about things like that. It never, it literally never came up. And I said, so there was, I said, this is weird, you know. I said, so I just decided I'm going to find out. I need to know, like, who my wife is. Like, I don't even know who you are now. You know, where did you come from? Are you a gypsy? Like, what's the story, you know? (laughs) So so I, I interviewed, you know, Clandestine, under the cover of Curiosity and, you know, Conversation. I interviewed uh, the, the aunts and the uncles that were there, and I needed to get the story. And what I found out, I found out his name, <laughs> what I found out is that he was kind of a deadbeat of a dad. Is that he, 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 he was kind of dishonest. He, uh, you know, didn't really provide that well. He wasn't there for any of his kids uh, and what I found is that George's aunts, and, and there's a lot of girls in the family, is that they they all carried this heaviness because they didn't have a relationship with their dad. At some point, he found another woman, he went off with her, and the two oldest ones kind of went that way uh, with him, and thus they lost contact with the, the ones that were behind. I mean, the whole picture, everything came together in terms of understanding the dynamics of uh, of the family. And it wasn't like it was a totally dysfunctional thing, there was love in the home, but he was kind of dysfunctional. And so he kind of went on his way. But here was the thing that got me, is that one of George's mother's younger sisters uh, tried to keep touch with her father because she desperately craved to have a relationship with him. And he kind of strung her along. He moved down to Atlanta and he said, why don't you move down here and we'll start over again? And so she moved at the age where she was just old enough from where she lived in upstate New York All the way down to Atlanta for the express purpose of having a relationship with her deadbeat father who was never there for her. And then he didn't come through on that either. He completely ignored her once she arrived. And then a few years later, he passed away. And she ended up doing okay. But the thing that broke my heart and struck me and spoke to me as a dad is that our kids are desperate, desperate to win our approval and our affection. And to be in a relationship with us. It is a human need that we be appreciated and honored by the people that we look up to. We crave it. And David had an esteem for Saul. And David held pain inside of him because he could never obtain it. No matter what he did, he could never earn the respect of someone that he really respected. Now, because David knew what that felt like... Once David became the king, he did completely the opposite thing. One of the keys to David's success was that he constantly validated and honored those he served alongside. He gave his men honor and opportunity and room for enlargement. And that was the way that David ruled. He said, I understand this need in people because that need wasn't met in me. And rather than letting that turn him into the same type of person, he said, I'm going to go the other way and I'm going to give to people what I know that they're going to need from me one day. I think of even how the father, our heavenly father, validated his son Jesus in his earthly ministry. We think, well, why would he even need that? He was part of the the Trinity, the triune Godhead. But when Jesus started his earthly ministry, the father spoke from heaven and he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Validation and honor, lifting him up, though maybe it was completely unnecessary. That was the example. Listen, people that don't know where they stand with you are always gonna lack confidence to blossom in the thing that they were made to do if they need it from you. And if you're a parent If you're a leader, if you're a husband and you're leading a wife, or if you have people that work for you, take the amount of honor and validation and appreciation that you show to the people that are unto you and triple it tomorrow. Show them validation and honor. How did David deal with this rejection in his life? Do you know what he did? Is that he looked higher. He realized that the validation that came from men, though it be good, it's not the real validation that I need. And he took validation from the Lord. Psalm chapter 18, verse 28 and 29. Listen to what David says. Throw it up there on the screen. He said, for you will light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you have I run through a troop and by my God I have leaped over a wall. He was validated from his father. And that validation and approval enlarged him and caused him to move forward even when he couldn't get it from Saul. The other thing that David did is that he did things differently. God not only used Saul to uh, show David the the, the, the need for acceptance and approval from those that, that look up to you, but God also used Saul to teach David that people thrive when they're free and empowered. People thrive when they're free and empowered. During the years of David's uh, running away from Saul, he began to gain some momentum. I told you before, people were starting to gather with him. Uh, He was beginning to build a small army, a company of people that were with him. And and they came to a certain village, David and his group, a little village that was called Keilah. And the story is recorded in chapter 23. You can go back. Uh, And you can read it later. It's an interesting text. But it says that Keilah, this little village, it says that they had been invaded by the Philistines. And so they're, they're oppressed. They're in bondage. They're being spoiled by their enemies. And they're a city that's got walls around it. It's a secure city. So the people are more or less trapped in there. They're captives in their own homes. And David prayed and he said, Lord, do you want me to take my men and go drive out those Philistines? And the Lord answered and said, yeah, Dave, go in and I'm going to use you and your 300, who was only 300 at that time, and you go in and drive them out. And so David does it. He goes in, he fights against the Philistines, he drives them out, he liberates Keilah, David and his men. They set the people free. But then David is in the city and he realizes, I might be vulnerable here. Because there's walls and gates, if Saul finds out that I'm here, it will be very easy for Saul to close off my escape and I'll be dead. And so David prays the second time and he says, Lord, listen carefully. He says, Lord, are these men that I just liberated, are they going to betray me and give me over into the hand of Saul? And God said, yes, they are. And David said, thanks, Lord. And then, you know, there's a part of me that kind of wishes the text went more like this. <laughs> that, that David then, after this, said, okay, I'm going to kill all the men. I'm going to take their wives and the wealth of this city, and I'm going to spoil it. And make, I just set these people free, and they're going to deliver me over now to the one that's trying to kill me? Oh, I'll show them. These people, these ungrateful, unregenerate, selfish people. I am going to... But David doesn't do that. David quietly leaves the city. A foolish leader would have said, these people are ungrateful and they're selfish and I want nothing to do with them and you just wait till I become the king and see what kind of favors you. That's what a foolish leader would have done. But David wasn't a foolish leader. So what David did is rather than react... To what he just found out, he took a step back and he analyzed what was going on. Here's what he realized. He realized that Saul, because of the way he is, he has created a culture of suspicion, conspiracy, fear, and intimidation. And so for these men in Keilah, survival means being on the right side of Saul. And so for them, doing Saul's will is more important than doing what's right, because if they violate Saul, they lose their survival. They die. And so rather than having contempt towards these people that were about to betray him, he had compassion on them because he could see under the surface. Here's what he could see. That me and my 300 men, we are nothing. But we are an unstoppable force because we're free and empowered. Here is an entire village and they don't even have the strength and the capacity to rise up against the Philistines that are fighting them with sticks and iron tools. And the reason is because they don't have the confidence because they're so worried about Saul that they're crippled in their fear. And so what David saw when he looked at Keilah is he saw firsthand, listen carefully, firsthand what Saul-like leadership produces in people. They're stagnant, they're afraid, they're suppressed, and they are not moving forward. They're in absolute bondage. And David said to himself, I am not gonna lead that way. That's not the way that I'm gonna live. You know, one of the things I love about following Jesus, about having Jesus as my Lord and as my leader is that he doesn't lead me by fear and suppression and, and every day I have to check. is like, Lord, am I doing this right today? Lord, was I supposed to get a haircut today or was I supposed to get one yesterday? Was I supposed to get one last week? Lord, and, and constantly, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? That's not the way Jesus leads where every little thing he's giving us little tasks and seeing how we did it. No, you know what Jesus does? He says, I'm gonna give you power and authority and the freedom to go bear fruit and we'll see how you did when you get to heaven. I'm going to give you my spirit's help. I'm going to open doors for you. I'm going to provide all the resources that you need. And I'm going to make it so that you can be fruitful. And when you get to heaven, you can tell me about it. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who delivered his goods to his servants. The Lord left, said, trade with them. We'll talk about it later. In the book of Acts, when, right when Jesus left the earth, right, he was about to leave. He had been here. He's going to go. And, and, and they're asking all kinds of questions. Like, Lord, how do we do church? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, do we use pews? How many songs before the sermon? You know, and, he's, and Jesus, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you all. He, here's what he said. He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which God has set in his own power, but you, Acts 1-8, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive authority, and you'll be witnesses for me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. He gives us authority and he gives us the freedom to discover who we are in him, use what he's given at our disposal, and then do something with it. And the church has become an unstoppable force in the world because Jesus is a leader who empowers and then allows us to go out and serve him in who we are. What an amazing thing. And David saw, he's like, This is, you know, this, I could look at this, they're betraying me, but I'm not going to look at it that way. I'm going to look at it as God is giving me a front row seat to see what kind of fruit that leadership produces. And I'm going to make a mental note of it, and that's not the way I'm going to lead. And I believe that David secretly made a mark in his mind that one day this village of Keilah is going to do something great because we're going to tear down these walls, and we're going to give these people some power, and we're going to see what happens in their life. And man, what happened under David. Amazing. Another watershed thing that David learned during his tenure running from Saul is that where there is no vision, no one grows. Did you pick up in the first verse of our text tonight? You say that was like four hours ago. You're going to have to remind me. But, but did, did you pick it up, the, the group of people, the Ziphites? It says that the Ziphites, chapter 26, verse 1, the Ziphites contacted Saul. And they said, hey, David's here. Come and get him. You know who the Ziphites were? They were distant relatives of David's. They were from the same tribe. Ziph was in the territory of Judah, which was where David was also from. The Ziphites, do you know this is the second time the Ziphites did this? They did it back in chapter 23 as well. They sent a message, hey, we know where David is. And, and Saul said, oh, thank you. He plays this weird speech he said you guys had compassion on me and because no one else cares about me but you cared about me and man let's do and they, they enter into this pact and Ziphites were like wow we're on Saul's good side this is good listen it wasn't good here's why because they were giving their energy to stupidity they had no vision at all as to what they were existing for or what it is that they were supposed to do they were spinning their lives in cir- circles now listen carefully The reason why Israel wanted a king, they said, give us a king, we want a king, was because they wanted to progress, they wanted leadership, they wanted order, they wanted vision, they wanted freedom, they wanted to prosper, they wanted to expand their borders, they wanted to do what it was that God put them in the earth to do, and they weren't doing it, so they said, give us a king, that's what they wanted. And so the king's job is to know God's purpose, to cast vision for the people, and then to lead them and empower them to do God's will and take part in it. That's what God wants. Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Habakkuk chapter two, verse two, talks about how to cast vision. It says, write the vision, make it clear that he that reads may run. All the instruction is there know what the purpose is then communicate the purpose to the people around you so that you can move as one in the direction that you're supposed to go now Saul, his vision was for himself that's all he could see his instagram was riddled with pictures of himself in different colored robes his crown hanging in different ways sitting with his feet up being fed grapes by his servants it was all that was his entire vision and because that was his vision People got excited when they made Saul happy. Oh, Saul, David's over here. They were wasting their energy doing nothing because it was all about Saul. David realized this is not what it's about. The kingdom and the crown is about serving God's purposes. The reason for leading is because there's somewhere to go. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God, with his Will what he wants to do in the lives of other people and if we're going to move anywhere We're going to need vision from him and we're going to move in that direction So david didn't get bitter Because he was betrayed by people that were related to him. He knew that also was the byproduct of saul's leadership He took it internally and he said listen if i'm not going somewhere as a leader dad listen to me mom listen business person ministry leader Person called of God? Listen, if you don't know where you're going, then the people that are following you will go nowhere as well. And that's exactly what was going on. David realized. I need to know what it is. I'm going to look at the Bible. I'm going to see what God's will is. I'm going to look at the Bible. I'm going to see what a king is supposed to do. I'm going to look at a Bible. I'm going to see what kind of leadership is effective for people. And that's where I'm going to stand. I'm going to lead that way. David wouldn't have learned that any other way. They didn't have leadership school in David's day. He couldn't grab a book by John Maxwell and say, I'm going to figure out how to do this. You know, God taught David how to lead through the things that he felt and saw and observed while he was running away from Saul. and Here's the bottom line is that every single one of us goes through this in some way. Every one of us is going through this in some way right now. We have people in our lives that we wish weren't in our lives. We wish we would come upon them while they were sleeping with a spear at their side just waiting as with a target robe, you know, so that we could just finish. Tell me that you don't have people like that in your life. You know, if you don't today, you will at some point. You know, we go through this whole thing. But not everyone gets the lesson. Not everyone learns from it. Some resist it, some kick against it. So how did David not... Fall into the same pattern as Saul. Or die in giving up and losing his heart. How did David learn these things? What was the secret to David obtaining what he needed to in it? And here's what they were. Very simple. Is that David's eyes were on God. Not on man. He said. He is the anointed of the Lord. It is God's purpose. That's being fulfilled through Saul in my life right now. And to kill Saul. In this moment, when I have this opportunity, would be to kill the greatest blessing that, that is, is feeding into my future. And sometimes, isn't it tempting to try to remove ourselves from the influence of someone who's causing us great pain? you know sometimes someone's in a marriage and, and and it seems like am i really is it really going to be like this for the rest of my life that i'm going to have to to submit to this man that that every time i walk in the room i have to to figure out who which man i'm getting today and is it, is this really what it's going to be like is it to be at this job or to be in this career path that if i have to endure this for this season and 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 feel this This anxiety that rises up in me when I'm around this person the toxicity of it. Is this really what it's going to be like? Sometimes we're tempted to remove ourselves from a person or from a situation And the reason is because we forget that god is very calculated in what he is allowing in our lives and the reasons for it And the only way that we're going to get through it is if we look beyond the circumstance that we can see with our eyes And we remember that God knows what he's doing and that that person or those people are the anointed of the Lord in your life at this season because there's something internally that's going to happen in your heart that you're going to need for your future and what God is leading you into. The other reason why David was able to do this so successfully is because he never saw himself as a victim, but always as a student. He realized, these things aren't happening to me. These things are happening for me. He knew that God was doing something inside of him. And thus, he he knew that God was allowing it. Therefore, he needed it. And that therefore, even if he was damaged in the process, God would heal and use it. And the third thing that David did, and I think this is so important for so many of us, is that David never lost faith in his anointing. And this is important. Here's why. Because if David doubted the call of God on his life or the love that God had toward him, then he would have had reason every single day to blame himself for the things that he was suffering. Well, this is happening because I was, this is happening because I lied. This is because I didn't, wasn't faith. This is because of my pride. And every single day he would have been under the weight of the, 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 the situations Instead of riding over them because he knew that in spite of the pain god loves me god called me god's doing something in me And he kept that in his mind god didn't anoint me and then realize that I was a flop and make a mistake And it's so important that you realize the same thing that you are under the love of god. He loves you Absolutely don't waver in his love And in his favor, you know, what's amazing about uh, when you look at the end of saul and you look at the end of david David, I mean Saul, he he slowly enclosed himself in a prison of self. By the time he died, he was living in this little room where all he could see was him. And his profession, the last words of Saul, were, I played the fool. I wasted my life. David, on the other hand, went a totally different direction, and it tells us in Psalm chapter 31, verse 8. I want you to listen. He wasn't enclosed in a prison, but he said this. He said, you have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy, but you have set my feet in a large room. What a contrast, isn't it? Is that David took the things that were done to him. He allowed them to shape him, and at the end of his life, he could say, God, you have done more than I could ever have imagined. And every bit of suffering that I went through was absolutely Worth it I invite you this evening If you're in the earshot of my words And I'm not talking about just the education part But if you feel the weight Of God using someone in your life To do things in your life That are perhaps painful And it's discouraging to you It's pressing you down I invite you tonight to lift your eyes Higher To don't just see what The person is doing Don't just analyze what you're feeling and want to be away from, but look at what God is doing. Lift your eyes higher. The people in your life are not obstacles keeping you back. They're not even escalators that you're to step on to move yourself forward, they're education. God is using those things in your life to prepare you for what's to come. I just want to invite you tonight to not look at your life as though you're a victim. Rather, that you're a student. That the things that you're feeling in the situations that you're in are shaping your systems, and you have the choice of whether or not you're gonna allow those things to rule your emotions or shape who you're becoming. God intends that you use them to shape who you're becoming. And know this that all of it, all of what God is doing in your life, the blessing, the privileges, the open doors, the calling, the destination of where it is that you're ultimately heading, that Jesus calls the abundant life. Listen, none of it is about you. It's not about you at all. We get to enjoy it. But it's about him. It's about the people that he wants to use us to influence and lead. It's about carrying the baton the best we can for the season that we hold it and then setting up those that will come after us that when we hand it to them they're already moving in the right direction. And if we can get our eyes off of ourself and if we can see what God's doing in the bigger picture, then we'll be fully prepared and fully ready. You're complete in Jesus Christ but you're enrolled. there's a process at play right now his work in your life to prepare you for what's to come father I just pray tonight for my brothers and sisters I, I thank you Lord that you lay out these pictures so so amazingly in your word I thank you for the way that you communicate and speak to us through them and father I pray tonight for anyone here that is in a season where they feel like they're on the lathe they're being turned they're being cut They're being shaped in ways that maybe they don't like or don't even want, didn't ask for. I pray tonight, Lord, that there would be a supernatural opening of the eyes. That every man that is under the direction of, of a boss or a leader or an authority that is too heavy or too much, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that right now you'd help them to see, Lord, that their systems would be shaped and that their future would be ruled by the lessons they're learning. I pray for every wife with an earshot of my voice that doesn't know if she can endure another day. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that they wouldn't be buried under the emotional pressure, but they would be elevated by the things that you're doing and shaping and that it would reflect in generations to come for every student, for every child. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask you, Lord, that you'd give us vision, that you'd open up our eyes. And so we put our trust in you tonight. We put our faith in you tonight. And Lord, we lift our eyes higher that the validation of your love and your word would affirm and remind us again that we're held in the palm of your hand, that we're kept as the apple of your eye, and that you that began a good work in us, that you'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Fill us, Lord, with your love and with your wisdom and your understanding. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.